Welcome to Radius uh, White Knoll. Uh, if you're new here, this is, this is a special group of people. You'll figure that out real quick. Um, God's been doing some cool stuff with us. Uh, Derek and I are tag teaming this thing, as you, as, as you probably have figured out. We're uh, really enjoying that. It's been awesome to see how God continues to grow our room. So we had to set up more chairs in the back, which obviously some of y'all figured out I was preaching, so y'all sit back because I spit so much. But, uh, but uh, really cool things happening here, so very glad to have y'all with us. Um, we're teaching, we're going through a marriage, uh, a marriage series, which is, is interesting, um, because it is a subject that just, it's just personal, right? Just gets, gets right into our business. So let me just acknowledge something. There's all kind of variety of people in this room today. It's always true here. We've got folks that have been married for 30 plus years. We got folks on their second marriage. We got folks that are single that have been married. We got folks that are single, never been married. We got all kinds of folks. We, we're talking about the subject marriage and it can pull up some stuff that hurts. So I imagine at some point in the next 35 minutes, I'm going to hurt you. All right. I've been working on my speed. I think I can get away from you, but just, just understand it's in love. That's, that's what we're going to do. Anybody seen people my age have probably seen it when we were young and just had kids. There was a show on TV called Everybody Loves Raymond. You seen this? About this family in the suburbs and this dude named Ray and, and his brother. And, and it is, I mean, it's hilarious. I, I don't laugh out loud much. Now, Cheryl's going to laugh out. She'll laugh out loud this whole talk. You'll know exactly where she is because she's loud laugher. I don't laugh out loud, right? So that show made me laugh out loud because it captures stuff that's happening in our culture and make, makes fun of it, really. Hopefully, y'all realize that, that Raymond was making fun of you primarily on the show. The, the moments that were the most funny, but then over the course of weeks, we started watching that show, started getting uncomfortable for me was how weak that rascal was, right? In his own home, he was just weak. And so his wife stayed frustrated. And then she'd get angry and he'd do whatever she said, right? But it wasn't really her fault. It was his fault because he provided no leadership for his home. And Lord help us if his mama came in because... <laughs> Mama lives across the street, if you ain't seen the show, and she walks in the front door whenever she wants to, and she must have a key to the house. She comes in the house. She makes fun of his wife's cooking. She makes fun of how she keeps house. She makes fun of everything, and Raymond just kind of, he like sneaks back into the corner, and I just want to cover up my face and go, this is embarrassing, dude. Stand up and do something. He's so passive. He could not leave his people of origin. He couldn't leave his mom and daddy. And Lord, his older brother, good gracious, a joker. He could not leave his mom and dad. She was, the mother was passive aggressive. She's constantly working and, and trying to get an angle on both of them. But, but the two dudes just wouldn't grow up. It was embarrassing. Let's pray about them and us. Jesus. <laughs> we uh, we want to grow up. You know us. You know our marriages, Lord. You know our broken hearts in this room. You know those who uh, long to be married and they haven't had that opportunity yet. You, you know every one of us down, all the way down to our emotions and the very core of our being. So as I read these verses and we talk about these ideas, I really want you to speak, Lord. I trust in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, every marriage has this, this great moment where 
the bride comes down the aisle. You guys all know it. She comes in. Everybody stands up, and the groom stands right here. A lot of times I'm the preacher, so I grab the groom by his belt and try to slide him over here so he can see it because he's usually freaking out, and we got to get him under control. So it's all right, baby. Come on, watch this. And he comes down the aisle. She comes down the aisle. Everybody stands up. It's this really cool moment because nobody's looking at him. He said, me and him up here behind all y'all while you're looking at the bride, and I can kind of slide him in front. And what's really cool is if he knows what he's doing, Everybody came to this thing because he pursued her. But he's already humbling himself, not being seen, holding her up as the beauty, even though he's the one that invited everybody by asking her to marry him. I hope. I hope it went that way. But anyway, she, she comes down the aisle, and he's standing here looking about as good as he ever does because every groom does a couple push-ups and sit-ups before this moment just... I don't know. I ain't going to say why, but they do. And, and he's standing here, and she's coming. She's looking awesome. She, she's bright and glorious, and there's always an old guy with her. There's this old guy coming down the aisle with her, and you're going, all right, he's pretty handsome, and she's beautiful, and everybody's standing up. What? Who's the old guy? Right? I've been the old guy lately. Uh, who's the old guy? Why, why? How does he fit into this story? I did one wedding, and <laughs> it was sad and funny at the same time. Dad showed up drunk. So he gets about right down. I got to come grab him, put him in this chair right here. I'm like, why don't you just stay? We're going to skip a part because, because you're not going to make it. And then, you know, we're getting a fight on stage. It's going to be bad. Anyway, we sat, we, we sat him down. But there's always this old guy, and sometimes he's completely put together. And he comes down the aisle. He looks older than everybody else, but he's dressed. He's looking great. He's obviously done a great job with this young lady, and sometimes he has not. They end up right here in front of me, and I ask him to leave. It's always a powerful moment as a preacher. It's like, sit down, bro. No, not really. You, you do it in a real cordial way, like who gives this bride? And he says, and they often struggle with this because we're just that way, right, guys? Her mother and I. And, and a lot of times he's quivering. And I saw one guy, he was a huge father. He came down, he said, her mother and I, and he stepped over right here in front of me. I'm like, what's he going to do? And he grabbed the groom's hand, and he was huge. And he just took his hand, and he shook it real hard, and he looked him in the eye. And then he went over there and sat down. It was sweet. I was like, that's my boy right there. That, that was scary. But he's done. He's gone. He left. And oftentimes, this thing called marriage gets really, really screwed up because we can't leave. We do it on stage. We have this great moment where the bride leaves her father, the old man. And the groom's parents sit up over here, and we have this kind of ceremony to say that they are leaving. But often that's all it is, it's a ceremony. And there's no real leaving. So let me uh, give you a couple ideas today. I'm going to read to you Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just going to read you one verse. If you're with us regularly, you know, normally we, we take a passage of Scripture and we work through it. We took 30 Sundays and went through John. Right now, we're just spending a bunch of time in this one little passage in Ephesians 5. Derek and I will be in and out of it. We'll pull in some other passages. Ephesians 5, verse 31. As the Scriptures say, so the writer, the writer of this book is Paul. He's writing to a little town called Ephesus, so they call the book Ephesians. It's a little church there, and he's written them this letter, and he's referring back to Genesis, the first book in the, in the Old Testament. And he quotes something. He says, so the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Sounds easy enough, right? I mean, what does it say? 
He leaves his father, mother, piece of cake, and is joined to his wife. That sounds fun. And the two are united as one. Cool. That's easy. Let's throw a big party and, and celebrate. But it's way, way more complicated than that, is it not? I'll tell you why. Because I sat right over there recently on the bride's side. I'll tell you why it's complicated. Because I put 22 years of my life into her. That's why. I, I got all kind of receipts at the house to show you how much I spent on her livelihood. Right? I've been giving her counsel, good counsel. The reason she looks so good and carries herself good, so good is because we're a tag team and we blessed this child for 21 years. And now you're going to sit me over there and tell me to leave? I mean, what's up with that? And, and Timmy's parents did the same thing. They sat over here. They raised this good child or else I wouldn't have had him at this wedding. And, and they did all this work. And they sit over there and now the preacher stands up and says, y'all are done. And it hurts. But I, that's just part of it. It's supposed to hurt. If you do it well and you're deeply invested in your children, then it's going to hurt. But let me just tell you something. There was this bride standing up here that for everything that I am, I could, it was a, as proud a moment as I've ever had. Because her very presence on that stage spoke of my life's work like nothing else. And my partner sat right down on the front row because I actually had to do the ceremony, Cheryl. And we celebrated our life's work. We got six life's works, but we celebrated this one. It proved who we were. It was this great moment of, I, I don't know, of some kind of healthy pride that we celebrated. Because we prepared her to leave. Let me make a couple statements. They're not complicated. I'm a little embarrassed. Hopefully, I won't insult your intelligence. Let me read you this verse again. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. So there's something very fundamental in there. <laughs> Let me say it and again. This might insult your intelligence, but it's a fundamental expectation that children grow up. Shocker. We want our children to grow up. Number one song on the pop chart. I was driving from the restaurant back to the office the other day. Flipped on the radio. Number one, Chainsmokers. Anybody heard it? That's like the best band name ever. The Chainsmokers. I just imagine them draining some out in the lobby. But anyway, they're the Chainsmokers. And they wrote this song called Closer. And you know what the punchline is? I wrote it down because it was shocking. We ain't ever growing older. We ain't never getting older. And it says something about leaving Boulder and in backseat of a Rover and all kind of stuff like that. I don't know. It all rhymes with older. But the whole premise of the song is we're not going to grow up. It seems like our music industry, as well as our whole society, would argue that we don't want to grow up. Why not? Because we hadn't figured out that the joy is in the giving, not the taking. Got to sit. Great weekend, right? Gamecocks won, Tigers won, and White Knoll won. We had a nice weekend right over here. And uh, got to talk to the football team. And one of the things that I, t you know you're becoming more and more mature when you enjoy giving more than receiving. So you still enjoy receiving more than when you give. You got ways to go to grow up, to be mature. But so sometimes we think, man, I want to keep getting my whole life so I ain't never getting older. <laughs> that's, that's weak, Jack. 
You're going to live in misery because you can never, never satisfy that appetite. But man, when you give, there's this joy that comes inside like no other. It's a fundamental expectation. Again, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, that children grow up. I wrote this down, not that I'm ever brilliant, but I did write this in my journal the other day, so I'll read it to you. I'm afraid that we parents want weak children because we want them to need us. We don't want them to grow up. We're part of the problem. Perhaps, perhaps we want weak children that will always need us because we're so incredibly selfish. Because we're afraid that our own happiness is going to be impacted if we send our kids into this world. Perhaps it's because we have so much money and we can actually afford to let them live in our house for a long time and pay their bills because there's really rarely been a nation like ours that could afford that it used to be most of the history of the world dude has to go get a job because we can't afford to feed the rascal right so it's just understood that when you grow up you go get a job and pay your own way well our wealthy nation struggles with stuff we've never struggled with before the old man at clemson game i got to go to clemson game yesterday which was great because i didn't have to worry about who's gonna win the whole game and so I could listen to the old man sitting beside me. If I was worried, I'm a little rude. But anyway, he, he, he talked, we talked back and forth, and he, he was in his 70s, and he, was, uh, he, he seemed like a great man. And uh, he talked about his generation, and he was telling me about the plight of the world, and he told me it was his generation's fault. And I'm like, wait a minute, y'all are the greatest generation, Right? You're the greatest generation. You know the things, the reason we are. He's like, yeah, that's the reason because we did not pass it along to our children. We gave them everything and we cursed them. And then those children cursed their children. And now Generation X, me, cursed their children by giving them everything. So we did not have this anticipation because of so much success that our children were supposed to grow up and leave and go get a job and pay their own bills and marry a woman and sacrifice and stay with her for a lifetime. Second, fundamental expectation. <clears throat> fundamental expectation <clears throat> that when children grow up, they'll create a new first loyalty. One of the really difficult parts about being at a wedding when your baby girl's up here and there's this guy over here is you realize that I am no longer her first loyalty if this thing is done right. And as a matter of fact, under pressure, I have to die to myself. And if she were to call me for advice first, I got to ask her, what does Timmy think? Timmy's 22. Why would I ask him what he thinks? He ain't done nothing. He just got a job. He don't know. She ought to ask me. But that, that's going to curse this thing. So I have to die to myself. I say, what does Timmy think? And then I can speak into it as a father, uh, as a father, but as a secondary influence in her life. So there's this core thing to marriage, which is what we're talking about right now. You have to create a new loyalty. And the only way to create a new, lo new first loyalty is to leave. You have to leave. It's complicated. Because some of these families are really functional, right? 
Everybody's like, it's easy to leave a dysfunctional. No, it's not easy to leave a dysfunctional. But I could get a bunch of amens on that, this one right here. When you leave a dysfunctional family, a lot of times all the drama just comes with you. And you have to eventually cut it off so that your marriage survives because this drama just keeps circling around you. But it's also difficult to leave a functional family because they actually did things right. And it's easy for her to look to them first because they had something going right, not perfect, just right. It seemed healthy. And so it's, it's, it's easy for a, a husband or a wife to look to the house before they look to their spouse. Let me give you a question. It's going to hurt a little bit. I learned this because last time I spoke this, the room went completely silent for like 10 minutes after I asked the question. So two things that means. It's a hard question, but it also means it's the right question. Who's the first person you call with good news? All right. Jimmy made an A-plus on his first grade test, and you just found out. Who you going to call? You going to call your bride, you're going to call your mama. Right? Uh, bad news. Who you call first when bad news happens? Little Jimmy just hit his head on the corner of the pool trying to do a double flip off the diving board, and it's busted wide open. There's blood all in the pool. Who you call? You going to call your mama or you going to call your husband who's at work? Because whoever that first call is tells you where, who, where your first loyalty is. And if your first loyalty is somewhere other than your marriage. Here's the dangerous part. The scary thing is that you haven't left, so you might leave. Because you can always go back to the place you never left. So I actually had, John Reeves had to leave the Reeves family and join to Cheryl Stewart, and we became Reeves, but not them Reeves. We became the Reeves. And as much as I love them and as much as she loves them, now Cheryl's the first person I call when something good happens or something bad happens. Now, we don't do that stuff perfectly, right? Sometimes she don't answer, right? Now what am I going to do? <laughs> we don't do that stuff perfectly. But if you're talking to your husband and your mama text, don't look down. Look at your husband. <laughs> Daggum phones. All right, babe, I'm not going to go off on the phone. We'll just hold that one. What's it mean to have a first loyalty? That means that we are wholly responsible for our financial stuff, our bills. That means that when we make a big decision, we make it together. We've made some really good ones and we made some really dumb ones. And I know Larry Reeves said over there on a couple, he didn't say nothing because we consulted and came up with our answer. And I even asked him his opinion, but we did the opposite. And he was like, that was stupid. I know he's saying he, he would never say that out loud, but it was stupid. But, but it's my job, so now I'm in debt. I got to pay it off. He can't pay it off. I got to pay it off because it's my job. I'm responsible. Geogra geography. So it used to be when I lived with Larry Reeves, Malachi Reeves lives in my house. JT lives in my house. They sleep in the room I tell them to sleep in. How about that? It don't matter how far it is from the bathroom. It's my house. They sleep in my house. They sleep where I tell them to sleep, right? It's not really that rough in my house, but that's, that's the way it works. But then, then I left and I got now I choose where my geography is. They don't. They don't tell me where to live. I might like being near him. I might choose to be near him, but that's my choice, and we have to make that decision together. One time, uh, we moved about a thousand miles from home, and uh, and my mama she said 
she caught me alone and she goes, are they making you move? And I said, it was hilarious, like it was my boss's fault. <laughs> I'm like, no, mom, I, I mean, I chose, I chose this job. She's like, <laughs> no words. <laughs> it was like, just this silent moment, like, you chose to, to leave? And I, like, I really felt like this is what God, it was, it was my job to choose. Let, let me, every dad in the room, it's my job to lead this family. And I'm going to be responsible someday. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be responsible for how I led this little troop. And I'm going to be held accountable. So I better, better do the best I can before God and before counsel to make the right decision. So I can't. I can't. Now, I want to always hear. We, always, we, we come from two really good. So we want to hear what they say because it's a blessing to us. But I'm going to be one on, I'm going to be one on the one on the hot seat. So our geography... Our relationships, which means that uh, I choose our relationships or Cheryl chooses our relationships. And we, we do that together. That's no longer my mom and dad's function. Right. One of the things when you're helping kids mature, if you've got a middle school kid, then you ought to have some say in their relationships. They don't get to choose them all. If they're choosing them all, you're not doing a very good job. Need to, you need to speak in on that. You need to monitor that, help them because they're maturing. You're trying to help them get to the point where they can make all those decisions. Because eventually what they're going to do, they're going to leave. And you want to protect them young so that you can set them free late. So now I got all my relational, all of our emotional. Sometimes I wish I didn't have all the emotional responsibility in this relationship, right? So when Cheryl's emotional, I'll say it's my job to work through this. And I'm going, Could, you got a friend you can tell this? That's what I want to do. But I'm loyal to her first because we left and we're cleaving to one another. We're building this whole thing on this relationship spiritually. Some of y'all did this, and it's funny, but it's painful. Do you leave your mom and daddy's church to come here? That's always fun to watch because it's painful because you have, what happens is the bride over here, after a couple years sometimes, she gets this little thing in front of her. Some of y'all got it right now in the room. It's called pregnancy. And, and then this child comes from within her, and he comes into the world, and and the front row gets crazy all of a sudden, right? The front row on both sides. All of a sudden, they were maybe behaving on this leaving thing, but now you got a baby, and grandma wants to have a peace, and, and you've been going to her church, and you got her grandbaby, and, and she, they sitting beside you in church, and you're you going to go so what? What are you talking about? Let me tell you something. Church ain't about who you sit with. It's about knowing and loving the God of the universe. It's bigger than family. And so as, as the leader of the family and as, as this tag team that Cheryl and I are, and some, many of you do this alone. Maybe your husband or wife's not a believer or maybe you're single, so you do this alone, but you carry the weight of leading your family down a spiritual road. Appreciate you because that takes courage and strength. But we're going to be responsible for this thing, right? So we, we have to make that spiritual decision despite all the stuff that might come across our plate. So who do you call? Who do you text? Email. Instant message. Whatever the heck you do. Who, who is the first person when something great happens that you call? Some of y'all going, boy, I got some work to do. That's cool. That's what we do in here. We do work. It's a bunch of folks in this room that struggle. Most of us know Jesus, not all of us. But we all are working to grow in our relationship with him. And we're doing a marriage series because 
We just believe this is core. It's core to our church. It's core to our community, our nation. So we're going to fight for it. That's all we're doing. That also means that I am loyal to her above my job. I like my job. I love my job. At some point, I actually feel like I'm following God the Father to do my job. I'm loyal to him first. But based on what I read in here, I'm loyal to her before I am loyal to you. So that means that I have to, my loyalty to her comes first. That means that I have to push this aside sometimes. Sometimes that means for us less of this. Sometimes the lady's making great cash and, and she makes a decision because that job's taking too much. So she makes less cash to be able to do this. The question is, are we more loyal to this or to her or to him or to him? The crazy thing is when we're loyal to this, we often lose this. And often there's this big barrier between us and him. It's just this lie that's been propagated in our capitalistic society, which has so many benefits. It's amazing how the enemy takes something good that gives us great freedom, something that most of us would die for in this country. Yet the enemy can flip it and take everything we have. Some of y'all got a hobby that you're more loyal to than your bride or to your husband. I don't know what it is. I bet I could speculate. It might have four wheels in your driveway. That's your hobby. It might be a baseball game. I remember how many nights we had to practice in, in Cheryl not loving the sport of baseball because four nights a week we practiced baseball. And so we had to figure it out because my first loyalty was to this lady so I had to have a hard conversation because I'm a coach. I like coaches. I want to do what coaches say. And I had to say, we're going we're gonna to practice three nights or two nights. Why? Because I'm loyal to her first. The list goes on. I just thought I'd pick a couple that hurt really bad. Uh, it could be a house. We're about to buy one. You buy a house and the chokers will suck the life out of you. I don't know. Like one more corner needs some special paint in it so it'll look just right. Well, how about let's hang out a little bit. Let's not work on this stupid house all the time. It's going to burn any day now. Right? All right, baby. That was like, write that one down, baby. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> uh, let me challenge you on a couple of things. You probably need to change your words. If you're struggling with the leaving thing, you probably need to call these people up here your parents. Right? Call them your parents. That's what they are. They're not your family anymore. This is family. That's your parents. Yeah, that's family. Don't, don't, don't get personal. I'm one of those that sent a child now. So I'm, I'm in the position of the front row where it hurts a little bit. But we want you. We, we the, the older followers of Jesus in here, we want you to, to establish a family. Sometimes you need to change your words. And sometimes you, 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 you don't call that home. You call this home. We're not going home. You at home. That's where you live. The place where you pay the bills, that's home. Because home's where the heart is. Right? And if your heart is there, you're probably hurting this. So there's some guys in here, but you just got some work to do. Right? 
you got some work to do. You got to get a little separation between there. There's some ladies in here you need to create a little separation because that, even though it's good, is cutting in on this. I got some friends that have some really dysfunctional situations so much that they'll call me and laugh about how messed up their family is. Their story is totally different than mine. But eventually they have to say, I can't come through for you, mom, anymore. Because I've spent so much money trying to help you stay on your feet that I'm cursing what I've got. I want to be loyal to you, mama. I love you. You know I love you, but I can't have you call me every day. Call me on Saturday. I'll talk to you then. Painful. Real. One of my best friends. He had to go confront his father face to face. Throw him out of his own home because of the way he was living, and then create a separation between his mom and his father, and then create a separation between them and him. It's just a different world. I've never had a facing. I've got these little easy things that I've got to work through. Because <laughs> at the beginning, I wanted to make Cheryl a Reeves. I thought she needed to convert to the Reeves way. So, we wanted, so I tried to indoctrinate her. This is how we do it. Why would I want another Reeves? I'm bringing her in to fix this thing. Why would I want another reason? But there's this, there's this, this tendency because we're proud of where we come from that we want to make them like, and we cause havoc. And we're supposed to leave and cleave. We'll get to the rest of that later. There's more. Like, <laughs> like the holidays, right? The first time you tell your mama you're not going to be there, you know, your mama says, you remember, we have met with your grandmama and her grandmama at 3 p.m. on Christmas Eve for 49 years. Are you going to be the one that runs that? <laughs> I think she might not speak to me again, baby. If we don't show up for that, she might not speak to me. But I'm responsible for this. And so oftentimes we try to be there because we love our parents. And we, try to we had to go through the negotiations of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, who's getting what? Some of the young couples in here are like, I hear you. Could, could, can is this on tape? Because I want to send it to my mom. But anyway, there's, a, there's, this, there's this, this struggle. So let me feel the pain. I'm sitting in that chair now, and I'm, it's almost Christmas. I don't know if she's coming to my house or not. You know why? Because I raised her to leave, and I want her to follow that dude. And so I got, I got to humble myself. Because better for her to stand up and be responsible and handle her own business with, with the guy that she's in love with than for her to need everything from me and not have grown up and then perhaps picking a different time to be in my house on Christmas. There's more, but I need to quit with that. Let me get to one little punchline. Ephesians chapter 5. Tony Evans, he, he, uh, we've done this before here, but I thought I would remind you. When he summarizes chapter 5 in these, these verses, he always says, Christ is the head of, of man. It's a pretty cool picture. Jesus, the head of man. Uh, man is the head of a woman, right? We always clarify, a woman, not women. So I'm not there. If you try, I always say, you try to be the head of Sarah, I won't see how it goes for you. I want the front seat when you try to be the head. But I'm, I have responsibility, and she, she's mine. But then it says, uh, Tony says, which, which I, I really like the way he says, but God is the head of Christ. His, it's this crazy relationship where everybody's under authority. There's authority built all the way through, even for the Son of God. So it helps us rest in this a little bit. So as a church, when we talk about this subject of marriage, man, I can give you some advices, which I just did for 20 minutes. 
and I hope you hear it, listen to it. It'll probably bust your marriage if you can create space so that you're loyal to one another first. But I could give you something even better. When Paul drops in this whole session about husbands and wives and gives counsel, and you can read it. We'll talk about it more in the coming days. It comes out of a passage. It's actually titled, Living by the Spirit's Power. Interesting. So it's almost as if he looks at me and Cheryl and goes, that's going to need the Holy Spirit. That's going to need help because I'm stubborn and proud and, and I'm just that way. And Cheryl's emotional and fiery. What in the world is going to happen if you put the two of them in the same house? It's as if Paul's like, he's a single guy. When I get to heaven, I'm like, bro, what you doing writing on marriage, man? You're single. You don't know nothing. Uh, Holy Spirit must have inspired you, right? So, so he says, this is going to take the Holy Spirit. And so all of his writing about marriage assumes that I come into it healthy, understanding who I am as a follower of Jesus. And the same for Cheryl. It assumes that we came into this marriage healthy. That means that we know who we are in Jesus and that we would need him first and therefore have hope in this. Let me just read you a couple verses. Uh, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. This is Ephesians 5, uh, 17. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Real complicated, right? Most of y'all have seen that. Instead of being drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. What's he saying? The drunk guy, he thinks he can sing, right? And he's always singing at the top of his lungs. All I had to do is go to Carolina game last night, and you could have heard some dude singing in the parking lot. He would have had a blast, and it would have been hilarious. But he's saying that if you have the Holy Spirit and you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then potentially you would have a song inside of you that would make you want to sing. And that song inside of you that makes you want to sing, it would teach you how to love. And perhaps the stubborn, proud guy, I would lose the pride and the self-will that has always driven me. And I would serve somebody other than myself because I'm filled with the Spirit. So I learned in verse 21 to submit. 21 says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in a minute, he's going to speak to the wives. And he's actually going to use that word submit. And we use the word desire here and come alongside in corresponding strength. Then he's going to say to the man, you've got to pursue her. He's going to say, you're going to have to be a servant leader. You're going to have to go low. And he's going to take this teaching about the Holy Spirit. And he's going to roll into a teaching about husbands and wives, which say you have to go low to do this well. Which means there has to be humility. And out of humility comes health and blessing to your family. Read you a little quote from Keller. Pretty good. If we look to our spouses to fill our tanks in a way that only God can do, we are demanding an impossibility. So I can give you a bunch of wisdom from experience of counseling couples. But here's, here's what I, I can tell you without a doubt. Is that if you'll press into Jesus, it'll bless this. It doesn't mean this thing will necessarily survive, so don't hear that. But if you'll press into Jesus, I can promise you it'll bless your life and it'll bless this. Sometimes it exposes something over here, and I've seen her leave when you press into Jesus. And I've seen him leave. That's not what we want. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians says don't leave. Don't leave this. This is the final union. 
But it's, it, there's this idea based on this passage that if you would grow in the Holy Spirit, then you will humble yourself and you'll know better how to live in this. And it will bring help, particularly if both of you are going down that road. It'll bring help. So a lot of times folks want some marriage counseling. The first thing I always ask to do is how much time have you spent in the Bible this week? Guess what the answer is? 100% of the time. Zero. Have you prayed? Zero. Let's start with that. Let's, let's just start with that. That's not like, so you're like, oh, that's me. You got me. Yeah, that's where we are today. So that's where we are today. I've been there. I've been there in the last 10 years. Where there was a week where nothing, nothing between me and God. But until I, I how am I going to fix this, this complicated thing between this guy and this lady without submitting to the father how am i going to submit to her when i can't submit to god almighty how am i going to give her time if i can't give him time last last thought i got more we'll just quit but uh this leaving thing is absolutely core to following jesus to becoming a great christian so abraham uh Chapter 11 of Hebrews is a great chapter. I don't have time to read it, but he leaves home. He leaves his family. He leaves his home. And what does he do? He goes to a promised land under obedience to the Father. It's just core. It's all throughout. Faith oftentimes requires leaving. Not necessarily leaving your geography. It doesn't necessarily mean you got to leave Red Bank or wherever you live. But, but there's this idea that my allegiance is to him first. And since my allegiance is to him first, whatever he says is what I'm going to do. So I'm not connected to anything on this earth. So if he asks me to leave, then I leave. Matthew chapter 19, it's this crazy, crazy verse. It's great for Americans because uh, Jesus speaks to this rich guy. I know a lot of us don't feel rich, but if we're in any other part of the world, they would look at us like we're rich. And he speaks to this guy that is often called the rich young ruler. And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What did Jesus say? Leave and come follow me. In essence, leave all that and place your allegiance in me. The rich young ruler did what a lot of us would do. He, he went, young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions, and he couldn't part with them. The disciples are all watching, and they're fishermen, they don't have nothing, but they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus says to them later, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I can tell you that'll be true in this room. There's some folks in this room you don't know anything about. They never sit up here. They never make any noise. But they have left this world and they give up their stuff. Stuff, love, time. And God ain't missing it because it's core to being a great follower of Jesus. Last verse, Romans 6, verse 6, I won't read it. In the King James, he actually calls it the old man. 
You have to leave the old man. I love that because I was the old man coming down the aisle. And, and Mariah had to leave the old man. I don't like myself looking like the thing in Romans 6 because it seems like it's a curse. But the, the idea in Romans 6, 6 is that potentially if you're in this room, you've never met Jesus. There's a decision to make. You can't just choose to follow Jesus and join your life with him. You have to leave the old man. You got to leave him. You got to walk away from him. You got to repent and say, I'm sorry for who I am and who I was and how I was born, for that matter. I got to repent. I got to leave the old man. None of us in this room have done that perfectly because I know most of you. And I've seen the old man rise up, the old self, who you used to be before you met Jesus. But there's some stories in here that are crazy of folks that used to be something totally different. And now they look new, flawed but new. One day that thing's going to be completely fulfilled in Jesus. Pray with me. We'll worship that king. Oh, Jesus, you know us. Leaving is hard for us. Some of us, some of us, uh, we love this world. We need some help to break free from it. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would dial in to each of my friends in here and help them recognize uh, how much you love them and how much you want them to be allegiant to you because you are so allegiant to them. But I pray uh, for our marriages in this room. Pray for my single friends in this room. Lord, all the stuff that goes around this thing you designed called marriage. Oh, you know the pain and the joy and the uh, great stories we get out of this relationship and, and the times where it is overwhelming. So as we talk about leaving, Lord, pray for folks that need to cut something out to bless their marriage, that you give them courage to do that. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.